Hi everybody, my name is Frida Matea and I am the general manager and one of the co-creators of Standby for Places. June is Pride Month and for this month, all of the pieces that you hear will be directed or written by people in the queer community. Before we premiere these pieces, we wanted to have a round table that included those writers and directors. Last week, I got to sit down with Eric Scotto, Lauren T. Mack, Graydon Gund, and JWB. It is very important that we have these conversations and keep these conversations going, not just during Pride, but after and forever. We hope you enjoy our Pride Roundtable. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode from Standby for Places. This is the Pride Roundtable. My name is Frida Matea. I use the pronouns she, her, and they, them. Uh, and I am the general manager as well as a co-creator of Standby for Places. Everybody, I'm Eric Scotto, and I am here. I adapted and directed the 1960s uh, film screenplay of The Little Shop of Horrors, the precursor to all the big famous Little Shop of Horrors. Hey everybody, I'm Lauren T. Mack, or L.T. Mack. Um, I uh, adapted and retranslated Cyrano um, de Bergerac. It's also it. Um, and my pronouns are they, them, or she, her. I'm Graydon Gund. I'm also one of the co-creators of Standby for Places, and I'm also directing two original Pride pieces called Talent is Sexy and Vista Grande by two friends of mine, and my pronouns are he, him. Hi, my name is JWB. My pronouns are they, them, she, her. I've written an untitled piece, and I'm not sure if I'll have a title by the time that everything rolls out, but it was recently submitted to the National Queer Theater and Dramatist Guild, and I received an honorary mention for the 10-page sample that I'm going to be presenting through Standby for Places. So let's talk about Pride. What does Pride Month mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to the world? What is Pride, and how do you feel about Pride? I mean, I think we can agree this one's going to be weird. Like, this is, this is definitely going to be a different pride than we've ever seen. This is not just because of quarantine, um, but I also think that last summer shifted a lot for the organizers of Pride, I hope. Um, but, like, you know, there was that whole they apologized for Stonewall, and then the very next year, uh, you know, pepper sprayed people at Stonewall on Pride. So... I feel like, I, and I feel like there is also like a renewed attention um, on um, uh, the black and brown people in LGBT umbrella and especially black trans women. And I think that focus is, yeah, I think it's just gonna be very different and I hope less white centric. I, I hope less white um, centric, but, uh, but I don't know, I, I'm feeling nervous. Honestly, I'm feeling nervous about Pride. If I'm understood for Pride, they have refused to allow in uniform police presence within a certain block radius of the parade, in addition to not allowing out of uniform officers to walk the rally. Oh, wow. Yes. It's a little, it's a little problematic. Yeah. But when has Pride not been problematic? Pride's been problematic since 1972. So, I mean, I don't, and I don't expect things to, to be fixed overnight. And I don't think that a couple, you know, white apologies for XYZ or some performative concepts about what we can do, like remove police officers from being in the space, as opposed to continuing to hold the system responsible for the things that they do, 
you know, I mean, I just don't, I don't know if removing them entirely is, is the answer, but I also don't necessarily agree with a lot of uh, the way that pride is looked at as a parade, as opposed to a continued force of um, defiance and strength that we have to show as a quote unquote community, as people are continuing to be killed and uh, you know, put out of their homes and abused simply because of their sexualities or their gender expression or who they love. So, you know, pride has always been a really special and important thing for me. I remember my first pride in New York City. It was the first time I ever wore short shorts and my ass is out. Um, and I think pride continues to be a really complicated and individual experience for us all, especially depending on the color of your skin or your gender orientation or who you're with. We constantly are keeping bisexual people out of the conversation. We're keeping passing trans people out of the conversation. We're keeping cis women out of the conversation constantly. So, you know, pride to me is however you want to be and celebrate your pride. But it shouldn't hold stake just because it's happening in June and because there's an event that, you know, is shelled out millions of dollars because white people fucking feel bad. Pride can be in July if we wanted it to. And a lot of people don't even know why Pride starts on the last Sunday of June because it coincides with Stonewall, the Stonewall riot. So, you know, but a lot of people are just now understanding that. I'm often gone for the actual day itself. So I feel like I usually only experience it as this kind of corporate thing of like different brands putting rainbows on everything and trying to sell you that and then hearing about people's experiences having only actually been able to go a couple times um i have a really can i i don't know i have an extremely different um view of it and relationship to it because i've been out of the city for a really 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 long time so to me it's a month to to be out and loud and no i don't think it should be relegated to a month but i just feel like i have a a, a less in it kind of relationship to it. You know, I am a, a, I'm much older than all of you, I think. And for so long, I just wanted to comfortably hide or be in, not invisible, but just like imperceptible. And that is not a good thing, but that's what I'm bringing. This is what I come to it with. Um, I am married. I have kids. At that point there, you know, I, I stopped wanting to hide because I've always, two things, I've always wanted to just be unlooked at. So yes, that is a thing. But then I also started buying the rainbow merch and things because I realized that as a kid, I didn't have any, any visual thing that told me I was going to be okay someday. Um, and so for me, like I now live in Salt Lake city and I have a giant pride flag out front. I am now, I went from my like four years of wearing only gray and black to now as bright as I can. And I, I tried to ask myself one day, like, why do I feel the need to put a, a rainbow flag outside of my house? And for me, it was all about being potentially visible to other people for two reasons. And one is there's a lot of people that are still scared and hiding. And I want them to see like, oh, wait, there's something else and I might be okay someday. And so that that to me is, if I hadn't put the flag out yet, I would make sure to remember to do that during Pride Month. Um, and then I also, when I lived in New Jersey, 
I we flew a flag all the time because we were close and friendly with all our neighbors, but I also knew that their politics were vastly different than ours. And it was important to me that they not be able to just compartmentalize, oh, that's my one set of neighbors and I like them and we're great friends, but I'm gonna vote against. So I put the flag out so that when those issues came up, they would have the reminder, oh wait, I'm talking about those actual people that I actually know and actually like, and maybe it would help them think a little bit. So I don't, it's not, I haven't been to the parade. I haven't been downtown during it. I like, I've never been to the event of it, but it yeah. just to me, it, it represents, hey, just like, I hate that it's one month and I've stopped me doing it for just one month, let's be honest. But it's just a reminder and a time of solidarity when if you were maybe afraid to, to tiptoe out, you more people are tiptoeing at the same time. And that, like, we put up our rainbow flag and then my neighbor put up his first rainbow flag ever in his whole life. Oh, I love that. I mean, here's the deal though, like existence is resistance, period. However you, I think that, you know, my little faggy queer fairy friends should be able to exist in whatever way that they want to exist. If that means shaking your ass in public or that means wielding a megaphone, cool. But it doesn't absolve us of the responsibilities that we have to continue to be visible and strong in our visibility beyond just trying to experience joy. Because truth of the matter is last when they did the last uh, Pride March, it was on TV, correct? However, they did shut those cameras off after a specific time, and they did make sure that the floats that coincided with the time that it would be scheduled on television were a specific audience. I, I am a proud lover of the Eagle NYC. Uh, I love the leather community and everything that New York City nightlife stands for, for queerness. Uh, nightlife is what allows there to be safe haven and family for many queer identifying people across the world, especially New York City. I think it's repulsive that the very concept of pride continues to be washed out every single year so that it becomes more and more palatable to the white little Republican families that are sitting in their homes thinking that there's only one way to be a gay person, to be a queer person, to be a trans person. That's completely false. So while our existence is resistance, it now is so visible that people call it the pride parade. We don't call it a march. We don't call it a rally. We don't call it a riot. Um, and in addition to that, it becomes this commercial thing that now because there's so much money involved, how do we continue to make queerness palatable enough so that people aren't uh, terrified? How do we make sure that queerness fits into a certain kind of vessel so that people are no longer feeling threatened by the homosexual standing on the corner. And to me, truth of the matter is, there is no one way to be a queer person. I know hood niggas in the street that, that fuck men in the sheet. Mm -hmm. I know trans girls who fuck cis women. So no, it, there is no one way to be however you choose to be. And that to me is my concern about commercialization and capitalism really kind of uh, imbibing itself into what the very event of Pride is. Because people don't really understand that Pride is a month-long celebration of identity. A lot of people correlate it to this one event that happens in their city. So, you know, I don't want people walking around thinking, and this is why Standby for Places and everything that people like National Queer Theater are doing is so important, 
we have to continue to diversify what these stories look like, who these performers look like, what these writers look like, because there's no one way to do it. But for some reason, we're continuing to kind of uh, simplify what that looks like. And I agree with you, though, because to me, like, I love all the rainbow shit. I love all the trans flag stuff. I want to be decked out in it. I want to see these companies supporting things that I didn't see 10 and 15 and 20 years ago when I was terrified to even say the word gay or, or I didn't even know what the concept of trans was. I think it's really important that capitalism, because I believe in responsible capitalism if there even is any, um, but I want them to be responsible and I want kids to be able to look and though they don't understand how complicated the very concept of capitalism is, I want them to feel represented. It's why we do what we do as artists, I think. I mean, I like, I really want to go back to something because I think there is a direct correlation. Like, like the, you asked the question, like the pride question is a big one to unpack. It's, but I think there is this really strong correlation between capitalism and assimilationist behavior. You know, like, uh, Jay, I think you were mentioning the, when you said 19, was it 1977? It was the rally with Sylvia. 1972, I think, was the one yeah. where they told her to get off stage and Sylvia Rivera was, like, one of the main organizers. Mm-hmm. Thrown shit at Stonewall um, and started Star and all of that. But, like, but I, I, I recently was reflecting, um, and by recently, I mean sometime in the miasma of the last 18 months, um, okay. uh, about... Um, about uh, visibility and um, and straight people and disclosure and how in the workplace straight people never have to talk about their sexual activity they never have to talk about their gender um, and so the because I had really fought coming out at work for a very long time um, as gender queer because I was like this isn't anything any why would they need to know that like why yeah. like I don't want to get into that with my coworkers but there is no like straight people can be silent and be in the middle place um where they just aren't taking a stand if you are at all queer or gender queer you are either in the closet and silent or you are out and proud there's no middle ground and so I do I do feel like you know um while I have all of these like very mixed feelings about pride I also do have um that sort of thank god feeling when i go to like the queer march or the dyke march of just like we can celebrate and that there is something specifically about being embodied especially after a year in which we've all been sort of like larva in our houses um like it actually being in our bodies and celebrating our bodies and what they um and uh in a way that isn't them being uh destructive anyway there's a desire to be seen and not be seen at the same time like i really mm-hmm. that feeling um as as I, both of you i think we're speaking about like you know i i really want to you know be perceived and like i got really excited the other day when i was in the bodega and um someone was like sir 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. And i was like hi hello yes it's it is hi sir um <laughs> But I, but I also at the same time was like, oh God, I, the only reason that happened was because I was wearing a giant sweatshirt and he could not perceive me. It was my do not perceive yeah. me, you know? Um, and, and I specifically left the house going like, God, I hope no one perceives me today. And then someone perceived me in a way that made me feel good. And I was like, oh, litter, rainbows everywhere. So excited, skipping all the way home, you know? So I feel like there is this tension that pride also brings up 
of that wanting to be seen, wanting to be recognized, but not, not you know, wanting to be singled out in any way. I mean, I think it's the same double consciousness that uh, we talk about with Blackness. Mm. I, my issue with pride doesn't take away how much I love it, how much I want it to be there. I just wish it was a little better. I just wish it was a little more responsible. I wish it did less work for me that it doesn't have to do for me. So, you know, that double consciousness of euphoria and dysphoria, the double consciousness of perception and non-perception of Blackness and, and not wanting my, my identity to matter at all. So I think that's, I think that's on the nose. I think that's 100% correct. But I think just because it's, we have a complicated relationship when we want to look at it through something other than rose-colored lenses doesn't take away the joy that we feel when we congregate because there is no other energy like pride. None. And I think that that goes for any city. I think when, when you get a group of people who love something so much that is so tied to who they are and we are in that space celebrating and reveling without a care in the world, feeling protected because there's so many of us. In a world where usually it's one or two of us in a room of 20, mm. allegedly. <laughs> um, okay. Um, it makes a difference and it's palpable. And that's why pride is important. But we also have to contend with the fact that we have gate kept what pride looks like. And th that's the truth of the matter. Like, why does there have to be a dyke march? Because media, the way that media controls what pride looks like. And so to me, there's a difference between what we experience as individuals and pride, and then this kind of uh, titan that is pride in this kind of physical embodied thing. So, you know, I think there's the personal experience of it. And then there's the, there's the event, like Eric was saying, there's a difference, I think. And you can feel it. The longer you're away from it, the more you feel how you have to become an embodiment of pride. And you have to carry that flag to your home, wherever you are. You have to be the visible one because there is that, that event isn't there. So you are the event. And I feel that way every time I walk out of my house. As you know, a Black, Latinx, uh, trans, queer, non-binary queen, um, every time I walk out of my house, especially on the days that I feel dysphoric, even though all my friends are like, I don't understand what you're talking about or how anybody could call you he. Um, on the days where I feel dysphoric, it doesn't matter. I'm out here, it's a riot every time I leave my house. And, and that's fine. And we, should, and we should be proud of that. Even on the days where we don't want to be perceived, we're forcing someone to have an experience with something that maybe they haven't, or maybe they have their own feelings about or whatever that they have to work out. But it's incredible that we do exist in a world, like you're saying, where we do have that. I was thinking the other day when I got off of at my station, there were some police officers. I was thinking, I think it was Alexandra Billings was saying that one time she was uh, arrested for cross-dressing um, and thinking like that could have been me a couple years ago. You know, it's just something to really consider the freedom that we have, which is another reason why I love Pride and why I cried during the 50th anniversary, looking through all the stuff. Um, it's important to recognize that you are your ancestors' biggest dream. And I say that about my Blackness, about my Latinx heritage, and about my queerness. I am the dream of anybody who, who couldn't have it and who couldn't exist. And I, and I walk with that privilege every day. For people right now who don't have it. Yes, 100%. Right now who, 
who do not have it. I mean, like, you know, Eric, what you were saying, even just about, like, you know, Salt Lake City, like, I have family in Ohio, where it's like, I'm not even talking about like Saudi Arabia, like this country here, you know, and like, I can speak, I can, I can, I can uh, sprinkle a little salt on Pride's name, because I live here. And it's not like the old, yes, you know, like there are towns where that's like the gay club is once a year. And it's that weekend. Yes. Yeah, or it's one night or it's one night a month at this one bar. And if you go there, you might get trashy. Yes. And and the bar has to be like strong enough to make it the gay night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. So it's it's even a privilege for us to sit here and nitpick at pride. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like yeah. and I'm well aware of that. It's my one Karenness that I get to have. You know, <laughs> <well aware. clears throat> I get to take that pill. But I do love I do love pride. As many issues as I take with it. And as much as the history is convoluted, I think pride is incredible. I think pride is an incredible thing. I just think that we also need to make sure that we don't leave anybody out. And that includes the people who date trans women. That includes the people who are trans and may not pass or who do pass. That includes uh, lesbians, non-binary, agender people, asexual people, people who are still figuring it out. Pride, I feel, should be a welcome place to anybody who who is, you know, on the margins beyond cis and straight and white when that's just period bad choices equally at a party yes okay thank you that's the equality we're talking about i want to barf in a gutter just like everyone else i want to get fucked next to a dumpster just like everybody else yes (laughs) am i supposed to be censoring my are you gonna censor me (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm like is this serious xm am i allowed to say these things People think of theater being this fun, inclusive place where everybody's welcome, and sometimes it is to an extent, but what are some of the discriminations uh, that you have faced being a queer person in the theater? I mean, I mean, when I was in high school, I played Hamlet. This was before I had transitioned. I played Hamlet, and this girl in a class had said behind my back, she was like, well, how are they going to play Hamlet? That doesn't even make any sense. And same high school, I also, also, I loved my high school. I, Jerry Hartford Academy of the Arts, thank you, you made me an artist. But I um, ultimately once had reached out to a voice teacher and I was like, well, I want to sing this song and that song. And he had said to me, well, I mean, you can pick things other than the queer songs or the, or the tranny songs. He didn't say tranny songs, but they were all tranny songs. They were like Mary Sunshine and Sweet Transvestite. I wanted to experience uninhibited queerness because I thought the theater was a safe space to explore that. It is not because if you can't play a passing straight boy as a gay boy, then it doesn't matter what you do in um, in theater as a gay person. We, we kind of think about musical theater and Broadway uh, uh, because it is particularly uh, imbibed by queerness, but there's also a whole other side of theater where if you are not a straight person, especially with women, right? If you're not a straight person or a cis person, it's fucking over for you. You will never work. If you're too queer, you will never, ever work. You will be in the ensemble doing pirouettes till the day you die. You will never be a lead. And that's something we need to contend with because it's still an issue to this day. I mean, it's like also just type. Like just the concept of type is really harmful to queer people in in the theater. I think, you know, like you have like, 
you know, these roles that are like, okay, you have to perform transness, but in the way that we believe transness is, like Miss Mary Sunshine. Um, like it has to be a way, a, tr a form of transness that is palatable or it's a joke like Miss Doubtfire. Um, uh, you know, and there's no, um, or like, you know, I want to say my only representation growing up uh, was the moment in Keep It Gay in the producers when I think it's the set designer is like, there's this big yes. thing. He's like, keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. And I was like, I guess I can hit those notes, but like, I can do higher too. Like, um, you know, I, when I moved here, the only person I knew who had short hair who was working on Broadway was Jen Colella. When I cut my when I cut my hair to this length, um, like a lot of people were like, "Oh, now you can do fun home," and I'm like, "And just fun? How the how am I gonna make money just doing fun home?" <laughs> like, you know, it's it's like this question about like, "Oh, well, is it okay for you know um, straight people to play gay people or you know uh, cis people to play trans people?" I'm like, you know, because what if they're just like the right person for the role? And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, fine, like maybe." sure but it's about money it's about people being able to get a job and like because i don't see i don't see me playing lori in oklahoma i don't see that happening <laughs> um i would love to i think it would be interesting but i don't see it happening so if the reverse can't be true and we're not all booking equally and you see that this demographic of people is systemically impoverished i would kind of be like i need to look as a company at my hiring practices it's not even about the theater or the art of the thing it's about who's getting money and who is securing um that finance uh i don't i think it's i think you know and we've heard a lot of horror stories recently with uh the march on broadway and that movement we've heard a lot of really, really rough things, especially um, from uh, trans color about their experiences at the public, at like large institutions um, where uh, they're brought on to give information about the experience, but then either not given enough money, their parts are cut down, they're silenced either in the role or in the room or both. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good intention right now but that is definitely what the road is. yeah i was gonna say too in response to that when you brought up like cis people playing trans people or straight people playing this but nobody ever gives the benefit of the doubt to the gay person in the room that they can perform something beyond gayness yeah so like yeah. nathan lane is the only homosexual i know who can do whatever he wants in theater because they believe that he's talented enough but if you guys could believe that other people are talented enough and not just this one specific gay guy who even still when he's playing a straight man is a flamboyant straight man you know i just don't there's not again it goes back to that representation concept that we we're talking about we need more representation we need more roles we need more chances being given to people that i i think that there can be a world where anybody can play anything but that's not for another 300 or 500 fucking years. Sorry about it. There's also something to the authenticity of it as far as who you cast. I mean, I was working on a show with a straight male friend of mine. 
and it was a script that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen, but that he'd found um, where he was playing a gay character. And I think there were conversations that we were having to have about what it would have felt like growing up when he would have known he was different and what coming out would have been like that we just wouldn't have had to have if he was a gay person playing a gay role. And I think to a certain extent, you can't do that research. There are certain things you can only really embody and know really effectively by living them. So that being said, all the gay characters in the plays that I'm doing for this Pride series are actually going to be played by gay actors. Uh, But something else I'm really excited about as a director who, you know, casts people and makes those decisions is having had this kind of widened consciousness and time to really think about ways that I could be doing a lot better and seeing characters and plays I'm trying to cast as a wider spectrum of people. And I think, so I'm looking forward to getting back into the real world where we can have big calls and see all the options that we have for parts gay, straight, and otherwise post-pandemic. I'm afraid to join this part of the conversation, but I'm going to, and it may be confusing or unpopular. I don't know. Um, I now teach at a university and the, the younger people have a stronger in, this is a very general statement, but a stronger sense of identity than me or anyone I knew at our time coming up. All right. There's just a, there seems to be a, a, a higher value to themselves on it than we were encouraged to have or allowed to have, or I don't know. So, that said we get into these conversations about how to fit into musical theater because a lot of the gay boys are resentful that they have to pass a straight most of the time and that you're not allowed to let that out and that brought me then to well most of my career i have passed as straight in shows because that those were the characters I was playing or the situations of the show or the time period of the show that I guess I always told myself, like, of course there would be gay people at this time, but they would hide. Therefore, my character is also high. You know what I'm trying to say? And that as we develop new works and as we develop new voices, the visibility should and would and can get bigger and more present. I hope that's what I would like to see happen i am not a writer but i am an interpreter of old musicals a lot right and so i feel like this idea of only being able to be cast as what you truly are am are is i'm confused by that because i would have never ever i would have never worked ever if i was only allowed to play gay characters and so that it like I don't know. And I understand that if you, if the marginalized need to be raised. So I do, I get it and I understand that, but I am also grateful to have had a career where I do know that that was part of my job was to blend into this world. But as an actor, I also felt like that is my job to blend into this world. I am, I'm coming back. But then I did a show called Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And that is about three, uh, two drag queens and a trans person on a bus 
going across, you know, and it's unapologetically out and it's wonderful and fantastic. And I was not only in it, though in the ensemble, you play rough, scary, straight people most of the time as a foil to the other characters. So I understand why that's there. And then sometimes you get to have the queen experience, which is wonderful. I, when I covered and went on for the role of Tick, which I did a bunch of times, which is this, you know, gay dad, drag queen person who that was the closest I ever felt to my own self on a stage in my whole life. And the relief I felt and realizing like, oh my God, for the first time in my whole career, I can just put 100% of myself into playing this part without putting 90% as passing as something else. And it was this exuberant sense of relief. I literally, after I did it like for the audience for the first time, I like had this huge breakdown because I was so relieved. Like I didn't have to worry about where my hands went in that moment or how wide my stance, you know what I'm trying to say? Like there's such a craft to passing and some people are have an easier time of that than other like there's a whole spectrum of passing as these other characters and i had spent so much time and energy in every audition every dance call every everything trying to pass as straight that it was it's really eye-opening so i see I, i see it i'm confused by it i don't always know what to tell these people because i also want to say of course you are enough and it's not saying you're not enough but we're playing this 1950 baseball player right now who would act a certain way because of the time and so it's confusing to me how to accept and lift up and instruct but also frame sometimes in the reality of the show i don't think it's about people not playing anything other than what they know i think it's about the discrimination that takes place in an audition room when you speak and a purse comes out of your mouth before they can see what you do as the character. It's we're living in an age where I don't want to have to pretend to not be a flaming queen on Instagram just so that I can get a job playing a straight person. I don't think that it's necessarily about not playing something beyond your reach. I really do think that part of that is I don't want to sacrifice my identity anymore. I was told in college, and I I doubt you're that much older than me, I was told in college that if you go into a room that you need to be as as uh, unavailable a vessel of your truest self as possible if it doesn't serve that character. If you have to play some ridiculously hetero cis straight character role and you're a big old queen, you better not walk into that room as a big old queen or you will not get that job. That I think is what these kids are talking about. I don't think it's that they they want to only have to play gay characters. I think it's that if they play a straight person well, they don't want that job to be an opportunity that's taken from them just because they don't present like that in their everyday life because you are 100% correct. That's not their fucking job. Their job is to go into a room, be a brand new person and do it well and impressively. But if there's anything that's impressive, it should be being the complete opposite. But we all know that going into a room and being the complete opposite of that character rarely gets you the job. The more close you are to that character, unless you're fucking Meryl Streep, the closer you are to that character by and in and of yourself is the, is the only way that you're going to get through a casting call of 1,500 people. And it sucks. And I think that that's more what these kids are probably getting at. And I... I do want to say, like, also as a as a teacher of undergrads um, in the musical theater department, um, I I also have have seen that, Eric. Um, 
And I think, um, and honestly, the only reason I'm visibly out as non-binary and trans is because of my students, because they needed someone to go to, and there was no one else who was gender queer in the faculty uh, on the whole campus. And so I, and so, and I was struggling myself with musical theater tropes and with um, the way in which we sort of gender vocal parts and the way we gender lifts and a lot of these things. And, um, and it struck me when you were just saying, you know, I didn't have to worry about what I was doing, but I was doing it. Um, that is the work and the discussions that are happening now that these students, that these younger people are bringing in is something that is ultimately liberating for cis straight men as well, because cis straight men have to learn how to do that stuff with their legs and their hands too. It's all drag. Like I come from the perspective that all gender is is uh, is a construct, um, and that and that like men had to learn that too. They probably learned it very young, and they think it comes naturally, right? Um, but there was there was a learning curve there too, and there's this kind of idea that sort of that straight men do it naturally somehow um and that's just not the case it's all drag and so i think that's also what's being discussed here is um is is uh who has the right to tell what stories and i feel like until there is actual parody which yeah, i agree with you it's, it's 500 down the road um uh until we have that kind of economic parity, we cannot talk about um, art for art's sake. Like we just don't have the lug, we just don't have the luxury of doing that. And I think that's what the kids are saying is like, is we, and also like, I will say, I personally came from a pedagogy, like where I was taught, um, don't do anything too political. Um, don't ever post anything political because <laughs> um, then a representative could see it and then you'll never work in this data, you know, like, um, and, and now there is very much like a, um, an attitude of like, oh, you didn't post about it. I guess you don't care about X, Y, Z, and you are now out of the loop completely. And so there's, so the, the students who are coming into my, my Zoom room, um, are, uh, because <laughs> we're not in person yet, um, but, uh, the students who are coming in are coming with this perspective of, it is a morally and ethically correct thing for me to do to have a point of view about this and to not view it as separate from my work. And so I feel like there is a really great opportunity for us as educators to teach them how to not only how to speak up for themselves, but how to speak up on behalf of others. Because I think that is a big problem for our soul learning non-traditional learners as well. Is like you'll have, like, for example, like an entirely straight cast and then one person who is queer. And that one person who is queer experiences something weird and everyone who's straight sees it, but nobody says anything because we're all independent contractors, we're all freelancers and all of us want to work, right? And that kind of culture is what sort of perpetuates all of this. So I think there is something, there is a responsibility, I feel like as teachers right now, for us to um, teach people uh, the way in which to speak up on behalf of others and on behalf of ourselves in a way that um, is productive um, and actually makes change moving forward for everybody in that theater company um, or in that setting, whatever it is. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's sort of become part of, uh, part of like the business of show business class that we all have to take, right? Um, which I'm, I'm personally excited about. I'm, I'm excited about it. It's freaky. 
it's freaky. And, um, you know, as actors, we're taught to avoid conflict and we're taught to like, be easy. Don't be, you know, there's 5 million people behind you in line. Like, don't be a problem. Um, but I think there's a difference between being a problem and saying, Hey, I want this theater company to succeed. I want you to be successful. And I see this is trouble <laughs> and I want this to work out for you. I want this to work out for us. Let's find a way to move forward together because we don't have HR departments. You know, we've got equity, which is essentially, well, we won't get into that. Um, but, um, <laughs> but we, but equity, equity often is performing as, as HR to a certain extent, but they really can't because they're not part of those companies. Um, so, you know, I think there is a, these kids are, to me, looking for a way to speak up that is useful. And the way that they see that happening is in the roles that they play, because we don't really have agency otherwise. We don't get to decide what we say. The director decides how we move, you know. So the, the selection of roles is really where actors have agency and speak up. But that's, that's how I... Yeah, I, I just, the whole thing is, it is... Um come to like a a confusing head for me in that we view ourselves as artists and the students view themselves as artists and they want this expression this just came to me the other day I'm, I, it'll be clunky but i'm gonna go like a painter they perfect they get the great tools they perfect the skills but then their thing comes out on the canvas they don't go paint somebody else's thing. Whereas performing artists, most of the time, the art is in the interpretation of someone else's thing. And I think that there's all of this artistic drive and want for self-expression, but then your job is to do it the way someone else tells you or the way it's meant to be or the way it's perceived to be. And, and then I think there's this struggle for, wait, I'm being boxed into this role or this um, world we're creating and and then I think that art artisticness doesn't get to come out unless you do also have the facility to write or be a part of a group that is co-creating together and expressing these voices I think that right now and this this is way off the pride category I think but like like a lot of these younger performers are hitting that wall and not knowing how to how to express it or how to find themselves in the work or how to, and so that it becomes this big argument and, and, and struggle because they're like, why is my thing not enough to do Lori? Or why is my thing not enough to be that baseball guy over there? I, I mean, I think it's really, I love, I bring up damn Yankees all the time. Apparently. Um, I think it's a confusing thing. And Jay, what you said about walking into the room as yourself and then showing and watch, I can act this character. I've always put it as just a huge lack of vision and imagination for most people behind a table because they, I think they want magically the character to walk in the room. They want to think they just found the perfect person who is that rather than a crafter person who can become the version that they need and even better than they thought they needed. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I've even had an experience where... I went in to cover a role and the role is this guy and do, do, do. And I was like, hit it, you know? And I said something and they're like, no, no, no. And they like crafted the way that I spoke in the room. And I was like, well, I know you, I instantly know that you don't believe I can play that role. So can we just stop? That's what I want, you know? But um, anyway, so that's, 
it's perplexing and that and how to bring yourself to the art form how to bring your artistry to it but also how to conform to what they're looking for i think it becomes a psychological like battle where we put ourselves away so much that then it starts to want to revolt and and I don't know. I think going forward, like creating just a whole other different way of being will help. But how to like reverse apply that to a summer stock series is really confusing. I, I have an idea about that. I have an idea about that. And it's time. Um, casting directors are often given like maybe two, three weeks of heads up to cast something. It is a time poverty mindset. Um, there, it, it is, it is pure, you know, like the problem I, I hate, I hate that it always comes back to this, but it does always come back to capitalism. Everything is always in a rush. And in the theater, we have this idea that there is um, never enough time for something. We should take great pride in like having killed ourselves to put on a show and put in XYZ amount of crazy hours um, and done it on such a tiny little budget. And we're so, so proud of ourselves for doing that. I also will say, um, I, I get what you're saying, Eric, about the, um, about the painting. Um, the form is the function, I believe. So in that metaphor, it's not just that like it's the painting and we leave it. We are both the subject and the medium as performers. We are both the painter and the painting. And then there are other painters adding in colors and like maybe shifting where the uh, canvas is. So it, it can't help but feel, so like I get when, um, I, well, I don't get it, but like when casting directors are like, oh, well, like it was just kind of your essence or who you were that wasn't quite the right fit. And it's sort of like, okay, but do you know what that was? Can you speak specifically to what that was that made you turn away? And that's another thing is like, I'm starting to see a lot of casting, not a lot, but some casting directors giving um, rejection notices, which I deeply appreciate. Like, I would like to know when I didn't get a gig. Um, and if they have feedback for me, fantastic. Then I'm going to be even better for them the next time I come in. Um, you know, and this is now like sort of off the topic, but it all, it all, I feel like, connects back because these systems and practices and the way that the current um, uh, system is for us to get jobs is itself a, a question of excluding a lot of uh, underrepresented communities. And I'm like, I'm not saying it's like a, there's a big evil mastermind at the head of Broadway League that is trying to keep us all down. I'm saying that it's just the way the system the system works to serve certain people. And, um, and there's no real reason for us to live in this sense of time poverty or this sense of um, uh, there isn't enough to go around or we have to do it in a rush. Um, you know, I think there can be a sense of expansiveness. And from there, people who are in charge who are making decisions maybe have a little more time to listen to us and actually consider what we have to say and not go, okay, so where do I sign? Okay, what do I need to do to make this better? I need to write a letter? Great, okay, I'm putting out the letter about Black Lives Matter, great. Okay, we did it, we solved racism, done. You know, like I don't need someone to check it off. I need someone to like actually spend time. And that's something that in the theater, I feel like we just as a culture act like is, <laughs> you know, uh, um, absolutely unattainable. It's like the vibranium of our industry. <laughs> and like, I don't think that's, necessary i think we can do better and it's also realizing what everyone's been saying in a sense this idea that someone who comes in and just is the part isn't necessarily going to be as easy to work with as someone who's acting and putting something on who's then going to have 
ideas and be malleable instead of just already being who they were. And the person who has to try a little bit is probably going to end up giving a better performance in the end. I mean, like, I will be honest, I personally sometimes will catch myself going like, hmm, and like, and it's a lived experience. You know, um, it's, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of introspection and a lot of work. Um, it does. Um, and I, I would love to see that not just be something that happened this month, you know, where Playbill puts the logo as rainbow and hooray, but they don't report on anything that's actually happening to, I don't know, trans or queer people in the working community of commercial theater, which is what they supposed to report on. I'm going to switch over to the Instagram questions. Uh, the first one is, how do we make the theater or workplaces in general more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community? Fuck acceptance. I don't need your acceptance. I need your respect in the workplace. It really is that simple. Protect trans, non-binary, lesbian, bisexual, whatever people the same way that you protect them when they're straight and white, protect them that way as well. When you see some shit in the workplace, say something. When you're reading something funky in a contract, rescind it. Don't be scared to speak up for yourself. And the people who are who are supposed to be our um, safeguards and our bodyguards, Actors Equity, SAG, y'all motherfuckers got to do your job too. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's not going to happen overnight, but the more people that do that work, the better, frankly. I think that accepting more than gays is also stupid. Sorry to the person who asked this because it's not always the gays that are accepted either. So, and it's also a very specific kind of gay that's accepted in theater as well. So don't be fooled just because you think you have an idea of what the theater community looks like. It's a convoluted place for anyone and everyone who is marginalized. So accepting it, eh, but respecting it is necessary. You don't have to like it you got to respect it because there are talented people from all walks of life who have a gift that are waiting to express it and have been at a stoplight for decades because of people behind the table. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's like a lot of things that are sort of being floated. Like people talk about things like, you know, uh, dressing rooms or making sure to do pronouns during check-ins, but like really like Jay said, I, I would like, I would like a safe workplace for my tears to count the same as anybody else's tears. Um, and hopefully for there not to be tears in the first place in a workplace. Um, uh, and, um, and to get my check. That's it. Like, for, for me personally, it's pretty simple. Um, but I also think um, we have a lot of conversations, we've been talking a lot about like, um, organizations. Um, and I think there's also a big conversation and I have to credit Drea Brown with saying this. Um, it's also about the patrons. It's also about training our patrons to be asking the right questions because they're like, cause there's always the fallback. Oh, we have to do arsenic and old lace again because you know, the blue hairs, which is ageist. Um, but like, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversations. Like I've heard like. Sto- horrible stories about like um 
uh, actors of color at galas where like patrons just walk up and start touching their hair. Um, like stuff where it's like, and, and then the theater company is like, oh, well, you know, they give us a lot of money. And it's like, so that behavior is okay. So there's a whole, I think there's also a conversation that is valid to be had. Like if you really wanna know what you can do for queer people in the theater, advocate for a WPA, advocate for federal theater funding. Um, advocate for um, for public money because I let me tell you I've worked in France and they have a nice ass deal over there <laughs> like I was in a workshop where almost all the actors were like yeah I'm between gigs and I just decided to take this puppetry workshop and the state just paid my tuition like because you're out of work right now so you may as well brush up on skills like that is a concept that for us as Americans is like cool we healthcare would be great if we could have that, you know, like, I, I think, I hate to be a broken record, but like, I think it's about money. And it's not just about like, a GoFundMe. It's about real systemic dedication of funds. And we have it. America definitely has it. So we're just putting it towards different things. The next question is, I am non-binary, but I still don't know what kind of roles I can go out for or what I am allowed to go out for. What do I do? I have I have help, and I will I will say to that person what a casting director said to me, which is go in for whatever you want and let it be the casting director's decision to see you, however it happens. I think as non-binary people, there aren't enough roles for us that are strictly non-binary, um, so we have to accept that non-binariness is kind of this malleable gender resource where. If you happen to really connect with the role, then you need to go in and you need to go out for it. You need to give it your all, give it your best. Go into that room like you own it. Your non-binariness shouldn't be what determines your inability to play something. Sorry about it. But also like the sooner you accept your non-binary identity as a trans umbrella, under the trans umbrella term, the sooner that you'll feel more confident going into those roles, regardless of the gender of that character. That is it. That is it. I will, oh well, I mean like I, 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 yeah, I fully, fully stand behind Co -sign. <laughs> my sign. Um, I, I, yeah, I would also say like, don't second guess yourself. Um, like don't go like, oh, well, I think casting directors are gonna perceive me more as X, Y, Z, so I'll do that. Teach them, teach them how to perceive you. Teach them how to perceive yeah. you. Like if you are somebody who's feeling like, especially like, like I will just speak about my own experience. Like some, I have had periods of time where I've been like, okay, you know, I'm assigned female at birth and like, that's what they're gonna see when I walk in the room. And so like, I have to give them that. And that felt horrible. That felt really, really horrible. And it was trying to anticipate their needs, which as we all know, as actors, we're not supposed to do. Um, don't try and anticipate what you think they want. Just do you. And like the minute I was like, no, I'm going to sit in my transness and really truly claiming the transness is a huge, huge part of it. And I can't, I can't underscore that enough. Like if you're non-binary, you are trans enough. And if you don't identify as trans, that's fine. But you are trans enough. Like if you never medically transition, if you never, if you never change anything about your body, even just a, a item of clothing that would change where you carry something you are still trans enough um 
And I would also add uh, something that a casting director, um, Victor Vasquez, uh, who shared with me, he's doing a lot of really great work um, in terms of inclusive casting, um, was in, um, in the United States, it is illegal for an, a potential employer to ask you your gender, your age, your race, any of that. But they also know that they will come under fire if, for example, they decide to cast a cis person in a trans role, but they can't ask you that in the room. So um, what uh, Victor had suggested is have a little section on your website, have a little section underneath special skills on your resume where you say, here are the roles that I'm open to playing. You don't even need to really talk about your own identity unless you feel like they need to hear that in order to be sure that they are doing their due diligence as um, employers. But, um, but let them know what you are, what you're okay with being cast as, because they will not know how to answer that question. Like a lot of casting directors are free agents. They don't have HR departments that are going to put them through a gender 101 training. Um, they are, you know, working off of Instagram infographics like the rest of us. So if you can, if you feel comfortable, like sit with yourself, ask yourself, like, what am I willing to play right now? And like, if you don't know, try, uh, try, try like learning the lines of that role. Try like putting on an indicative costume in your room. Um, like experiment for yourself what feels good so that you aren't put in a position that when you get into a casting room or a rehearsal room and you get asked something, that you're like, oh, I don't know, I just don't want to be difficult, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just like, let it happen. Get clear with yourself. Look, get clear with yourself. And I'm not saying you have to be like, I am fully transitioned and I know exactly who I am before I get into the casting room. Like it is an ongoing process, but like, uh, in the same sense as like, you know, with touching in a rehearsal hall, know what your boundaries are know what your boundaries are and know what you feel comfortable doing and what you don't feel comfortable with doing because they won't be able to read that for you. They're, they're, they, they just want, you know, you. We got a few of these. How can I be a good ally or what are the qualities of a good ally? I, I would say there is no good ally. There are only good accomplices. Yeah. Just shut the fuck up when you need to shut up and speak when, when I need you to speak. Complicated, but you'll get it when you get it. Do some research on your own. Stop asking people to answer questions for you for free. Go to a workshop. Get a friend. Get a down-ass bitch who will never let you speak out of turn. Yeah, I mean, like, be, have a friend that will be a safe space that, like, you can mess up with, um, like, so that you don't mess up in uh, other situations where it will set things off. Like, if you can find somebody, like, but don't just ask anybody off the street. Like, actually be friends with somebody. <laughs> Like, have, have, like, history and intimacy with them, <laughs> um, you know, but, like, uh, you know, I think there is, it's, it's a learning process, and be willing, be willing to fail, be willing, be willing to suck, be willing to have your feelings hurt. Um, but, but also, like, be willing to go out there and get the answers yourself. Yeah. I'm sorry, like, yeah. I'm, I, it's just exhausting, it's an exhausting thing that we all have to face at some point as a marginalized person where one person wants to come with you with a million questions. And some of these questions can be answered in one swift Google search. You just don't want to do the work. Being a good ally is being able to do the work outside of talking to your friends, outside of, you know, 
oh, I attended this one march with this other white cis straight person that I know because we felt bad and we felt like we should be there. You have to know what you're talking about to be a good ally. And a lot of that is listening. So I would say the number one thing in order to be a good ally is to, is to just strap in and listen. So that way when there isn't someone to defend that, that space, there's not somebody in that space and you need to step up and you need to do the work. But that also involves going out there doing a little research, reading a book, watching a documentary, listening to a podcast. Um, but to me, I'm, I'm kind of tired about revolving doors and questions about how to be a good ally when we're talking about celebrating trans, queer people. Um, it's not about y'all right now. So you can ask me that in July. But I do also, I will also say, um, uh, something, something that folks can do that I don't see people doing a lot is conversations with your conservative relatives. Um, you know, I see a lot of people sort of getting off Facebook or blocking those people um, because they're like, oh, I just can't talk to Uncle Joe right now. Like, he's just so transphobic. And it's like a cis person telling me this. And I'm like, that sounds terrible for me. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, like there's all of this, you know, anti-trans sports legislation going on right now. And I'm like, I know you don't want to talk to your uncle in Arkansas, but if you do, that could be really helpful if you, because you have a relationship with them. You have intimacy with them. You, you have had a long history with that person. You can get in. Me making a post on the internet, I'm just going to get written off by your uncle Frank. You know, uncle Frank's not going to listen to me. Uncle Frank is going to listen to you. Um, you know, and that's not glamorous or something that's very postable or um you know uh what maybe we you know allies think of as ally behavior um but like but it is it is those sort of quiet intimate moments that maybe nobody ever knows about um where you start learning how to speak up um and that is i think where it's uncomfortable it's not really you know for me, I love seeing people at the marches. I love seeing my friends post in solidarity, but I do, I do think that um, the truly difficult work is approaching the people in our lives that we've let things slide with and, and having honest conversations with them about that. And that goes for any, any struggle in the United States right now, um, any struggle in the world. Also, I apologize for sounding like a bitch. I know I sound like a bitch. You have every right to be angry and 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 not, you know, like I I fully support that. I think both of I think both of um, the ways in which we're saying this are are true. And like I'm, I, you know, don't don't I would say anybody watching this don't mistake my smiling and uh, joyful disposition as not being fucking enraged um, because I am so mad. Sometimes I don't know what to do with my anger. Um, and thank God for the theater, um, but uh, which is then sometimes a place where uh, that is a source of more anger. But the the rage is valid, and I also think I I know that some allies may hear like, man, I don't want to hear about allies, and go like, okay, well, I'm just gonna shut down and not say anything. No, respond to that, respond to that, and and understand the pain that's underneath that, and and how much we need you. Um, I mean, I'm not mad. I'm just tired of of kind of yeah. 
Oof, I'm sorry. I did that thing. Um, I was absolutely projecting. Um, I am the one who is angry. <laughs> I am the one who is enraged. Um, and that was me projecting for sure. It's just something that I think is really important to be a good ally. But I think that there are a lot of resources out there on how to be a good ally. And that being a good ally is not particularly difficult. So if you're thinking too hard about how to be a good ally, think less. <laughs> sorry. Well said. I think less the next question is is there a prejudice in the tech world the way that there is with theater um as a queer stage manager i can tell you yes there is um i personally have not experienced it my experiences are more misogyny based um however i have plenty of friends in the queer community who have been shut down or bullied or told that they can't do a specific job because of who they are um, but I think that goes for any profession. It doesn't matter if you are a theater kid, a tech person, uh, a banker, you're going to get that prejudice no matter where you are. It's, it's more about showing up, doing the work, showing people you can do the work and getting, as Jay was talking about, the respect, um, and having people realize that we can do any job that anybody else can. We deserve that respect because we work very, very hard. I think it's about the perception of who can be a leader or not, as far as stage managing or even who can handle the budget of an entire design department. And a lot of that is just that for years and years and years, white men have been being given these positions and therefore have the credits to back them up and get them, and it needs to be based on potential and not past so other people can get some of those opportunities i think too just to kind of like give a whole thing about everything is to say like don't ever let whatever marginalization happening in an industry stop you from being a trailblazer regardless even even if you want to do tech do tech whatever that looks like for you want to be a producer be a producer and be the best goddamn producer there ever was be the best goddamn stage manager there ever was there's always going to be discrimination somewhere, somehow, if you are a marginalized person, whether you're a white woman, a black man, a trans, a trans queer person. There's always going to be something keeping you from what you really want. But you just have to listen. As a black person, we know you are twice as hard to get half as much. So start applying it to all of y'all. Everybody work hard. Do what you want to do and, and push through and don't take no for an answer. But there's going to be discrimination wherever you go. So like. What, but what are you going to do when you when you have to go to that battle? That's all. Yeah. So, like, uh, I think it was Mark Manson who said, like, you choose your pain. It's not about being happy. It's about choosing the type of pain that you find tolerable or that the trade-off or the joy you get from, I don't know, performing or making a set is, that's that's what's worth it for you. Because, like, just like Jay said, like you, like if there's nobody else like you in the industry, think about how alone you feel. And now like, think about all of the other people out there who need you to be that one person, to be that first person. Um, you know, like no one is, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I really bucket this whole, like, oh, everyone's so brave, so resilient. Like none of us picked None of us were like, I want to do this because I would like to be perceived as more brave and resilient. 
<laughs> I would love to be praised for that more. Um, you know, like we're we're here because we are ourselves, and we aren't gonna lie about that. So just go do you and be the most you you can be. And if that's being, if that includes being a set designer, I'm so stoked for you. Go do it. The next question is, how would you navigate being a queer person within a very conservative high school? Leave. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that that, um, my advice, and it's very honest, it's very real, do what's going to keep you safest. Sorry. Yeah. As a radical person, I understand that that might be a little uh, uncouth of me to say, but do what's going to keep you safest because we need you. And whatever you need to do to survive mentally, emotionally, and spiritually out of the situation, do whatever you need to do. And if part of that for you is to be loud and queer and scream at the top of your lungs, do that. Be the visibility. But if you don't feel like that's in you to be that, you don't have to be that. Just do what you need to do to get through because you, there are 51, 52 states in this country alone. There are hundreds of countries in the world. You don't have to be where you are. You just got to be there for right now. And it's, and it feels like forever. It's going to feel like, it's going to feel like forever, but, um, and I'm not, I, I also will say, I don't think it get, you know, it might not get better. I don't want to promise that to you. Um, but you will get better at handling it and you will get stronger and, um, and you will, and you will find your people. Like, you know, like, I think there is like a fear that if you don't send up a rainbow bat signal, that you're just going to be like an isolated queer person for the rest of your life, but we're going to find each other. Like, trust me, <laughs> you'll find each other. Um, you know, uh, you don't need a, you know, a, a bandana flagging system to find other queer people. Like you will find each other, but like, I, again, just got to underscore what, what Jay said, take care of yourself. Like, don't feel like you got to carry a whole community on your back. Don't feel like you've got to be a representative or answer everybody's questions. Um, like you are learning how to be a human being right now at the same time as you are navigating learning queerness and like, and you're navigating a panini, like you're navigating a whole lot. Like give yourself a break, be kind to yourself, do things that nourish you. Be nice um, to yeah. I also think something really important to keep in mind, I did it when I was younger, don't pick too many fights just because it feels good to fight. Sometimes it's better to just be like, yeah, sure, and just walk away from it. Because you know the truth. You know the fact. They might not. So just don't put yourself in harm's way because it feels good to feel something. Because I did that a lot growing up. It's unnecessary and it's just going to cause you more trauma you're going to have to heal from later. Sometimes it's better to just breathe, let go, walk away, go look at Men's Health magazine or something. What is your favorite queer musical or queer play? Kiss of the Spider Woman. Done. Yes. 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 That's it. That's all. That's all she wrote. Kiss of the Spider Woman. The end. There's so many, but Kiss of the Spider Woman. And then for a play, I'd have to say, uh, that fucking revival of Angels in America was so insane. So incredible. Example of a straight white guy playing an incredibly complex queer character. Should it have been him? No. Do Am I mad that it was him? No, because he did a great job. My answer for that 
would also be angels partially because of the revival but also the miniseries and tony kushner is just brilliant there's just so much there and so many different ways of interpreting the piece which i love as a director and also a little broader representation than a lot of the shows of a similar period and i went i actually sat next to um the woman um was she was uh her mom was on the board that disbarred Roy Cohn. Oh shit. Yeah. Uh and it was like and she was just sobbing off the second act. Um it was it for a second part Perestroika. It was really uh, we sat next to each other time. But I mean I can't I can't pick one. I like um but I will say like my gateway drug was Hedwig. Um, I was gonna say Hedwig. I saw it like four times in that OG, and I loved it. Blew my mind. My first experience with a trans person was was Hedwig, and I was like, "Wow, this seems really cool. I love the aesthetic. I don't know why. I, (laughs) I, it's just I like the glitter." (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was me. Uh, Mine was. I I think I have to jump on the Hedwig train. Um, I I think it's super. yeah, confusing and interesting, and because I actually, if you really, I, I I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. it's my like number one dream role, but I also think that it's actually a gay character who didn't want to do what they did, and that is like whoa. And so it's you okay, know when thank it, you because I have that argument with people all the time. That's what I believe. I'm like, Hedwig is not trans. Hedwig did what she needed to do to get out of where she was. That is a smarter way to play that role get over it yeah i'm available (laughs) Um, so yes that is my feeling about it and that's uh which is you know and i know it's uh question like they when was it ali sheedy who did i see i'm talking about the og but Uh she did it and i was like that's confusing to me because to me it's meant to be a a gay boy who did a thing right that like we're saying and so then to have it from the female perspective was that was confusing for me and then so i think that a lot of people have different um yeah i mean purchased it's a into it right story, which like cool i mm-hmm. just i the angry inch song to me is is the is the key to seeing that show that way however i can see it also just be if that's how you if you want to do it that way you can also do it that way but i am agreeing with you eric i think that hedwig is a little more uh bold and downtown and terrifying that she did what she did to get out as opposed to but yes i agree okay yeah. high five <laughs> you can sort of divide like the perspective on how you think hedwig should be played based on like the song that you love the most in the show you know what i mean like for me it's uh-huh. like box because like because it's that that choice to go like okay you know what i don't know what's going on at this point but i'm making a choice fuck it um mm. like and I'm gonna lean in and like it, you know, for me, like, so I feel like, I feel like, you know, that's also a reason I love Hedwig is because the spine of the show changes so much depending on what you're focusing on. Um, and to me, that's what makes it ultimately, uh, like the plot itself to me feels trans, um, even if the character um, doesn't. I also yeah. like that it's just not super clear. I don't love a show that everything is just laid out because no, life isn't like that. People don't talk like that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. to have it be a little like, I'm okay. Like, I don't See, know. No, let's Kiss go. of the Spider Woman to me is a, is a show about a trans woman who has a transition. And the Spider Woman is her 
that's a gender really euphoria. brilliant way to think about that i don't think of molina as a as a gay man at all but he might not have known that as an option exactly or, you know but i mean the song she's lucky so lucky she's a woman yeah hello honey i'm sorry <laughs> i it's like my favorite musical i'm sorry i gotta stop we gotta stop talking about it or i'll go on for days what's the next question for <laughs> we are unfortunately wrapping up however these conversations should go on not just during pride but forever talk with your friends talk with your family do your research um and i want to end today's session with any final comments from you guys um be it promoting your own shows uh giving shout outs to companies you love telling people where they can donate how they can donate um and how to participate during pride you know uh give money to for the girls um give money to for the girls that's all i got um give give money to black trans women directly in uh in mutual aid that's what i got uh black trans femmes in the arts the okra project the palestine foundation um your taxes i have a uh bi-weekly solo cabaret called group therapy come to it you'll cry you'll laugh you'll have a good time it's at rock bar nyc uh, I'm also doing a play in two weeks in person. I know, terrifying. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, exciting. Follow me on Instagram, J-A-E, Music Official. Uh, you can kind of keep up to date with all of that. And Trans Trenders, uh, the label that I'm signed to, which is the first ever trans-focused label. Uh, and it is headed by uh, Black trans people specifically. So yeah, that's, what, that's where I would tell you, put your money where your mouth is and, and where your mouth is is me. Put your money in me. Thank you. My thing that I promote is the podcast. So I have nothing else. <laughs> I don't do anything else. I would I don't have anything to promote really. I, I would just say maybe in this month of pride, fly a flag, even if you're not identified under that flag. Yes, fly, fly it for a everybody fa- else. Fly a flag even if you're not a fag. You know what I'm saying? Fine. <laughs> yes, I thought about that a lot. I'm like, wouldn't it be really cool rather than being like it's me. I'm right here. That everybody else go like, you guys are cool. You guys are cool. So fly the you guys are cool flag. Join in. Put up a flag. Folks, queer people told you it was okay. Do it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for spending time with me and having these conversations. And remember, you guys, just because the round table is over does not mean these conversations are over. As I said, keep having them. Have them with your friends and family. Um... And to you writers and directors out there, bring your stuff into us. We love to hear it. We want to have you part of our company, not just during Pride, always. A very big shout out. Thank you guys so much. Eric Scotto, Lauren T. Mack, JWB, and Graydon Gund. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Frida. Thanks, guys. Bye, y'all. To learn more about these artists, please visit our website at standbyforplaces.com. Next week, we will be hearing Cyrano, which was adapted by Lauren T. Mack, who you guys heard from today. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and we will see you all next week.